Nice to see you this morning. We are continuing in our series today in Deuteronomy called People at the Boundary. And if you are new, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Marianne Nowak. I'm the pastor to women and also a member of the preaching team. So it's just nice to meet you if we haven't met yet. Um, if you're new to the book of Deuteronomy, you're in good company. <laughs> this is actually not a book that very many people study chapter by chapter like we are doing. Um, but each week, I think we're just finding so many points of relatability between what God says to his people Israel, who are on the edge of the wilderness getting ready to step into the promised land, and what he says to us today as, and how we should live our lives as his people in Christ. I think what is so astounding about God is that he speaks. Isn't that amazing? That he is communicative. He's not disengaged from our lives. He isn't quiet. In fact, the very reason that we're communicative as people is that we are made in his image. We bear his image. He communicates and he gave us language to communicate as well. And he is our creator and he has given us his word as the instruction manual for our lives. I love the word of God. I love that we're a church that opens the word of God week after week after week because the Bible just explains so much to us about who he is, about who we are in relationship with him and in relationship with each other. It tells us why our world has gone mad with sin. How could we ever understand the brokenness of our world without the word of God explaining to us what went wrong with the problem of sin? And he reminds us that he's bringing wholeness and healing to humanity, yes, but also to our personal individual lives. God has not wiped his hands of us. Aren't you so glad? And he is not sitting up in heaven in a, in a, in a comfy chair with his feet up on an ottoman watching us flail around in our lives down here on earth. He is actually actively speaking to us through his spirit and he has graciously given us his word. And his word is life. It was the key to life for the Israelites, and it is the key to life for us here today. I just need to tell you that I believe this to the core of my being. His word is life. Um, the word of God has been probably the single most transforming agent of my life. It transformed me as a person, it completely transformed my marriage when my husband and I got into the word together. By his word, he has grown me up in my faith and he's called me to serve him through the ministry of the word. In fact, that calling has been what's required me to go so deep into the word to teach it, predominantly to women for over 20 years in our community. I spent the first 11 years, thank you, I spent the first 11 years um, studying and learning as a teaching leader for Bible Study Fellowship right here in our community and have been here now 10 and a half years as a pastor with the privilege of teaching the word to the women of our community and to be on the preaching team, which has been really delightful. But what you need to know is that this actual path was not the path that I thought I was going to be on in my life. I went to college, I studied business, I loved studying business. I thought that was the path I was gonna be on, but God just arrested me with his word. He put me on a totally different path and he has shaped my life for the good. 
and I'm so grateful. I just want you to know, I am so passionate about what I'm sharing with you today. Um, I totally believe that we study the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in community, and that that's where life change happens. Um, because God's word is true and it has wisdom and perspective and encouragement for us as we go out and navigate this broken world that we live in. You know, it is possible for us to know some things about God just from looking in our world, right? We can, we can see a sunrise or a sunset and we can know that he's creative. Uh, we can see the miracle of new life and know that how much he, he loves and the miracle of all the species on the planet. We can discern certain things about God from looking at our world But the only way that we can know the Lord Jesus Christ and the only way that we can understand what he's done for our salvation is through the recorded word. So the Bible is such a gift to us. And I want to invite you now to open your Bibles and let's jump into Deuteronomy 8. I've got three headlines for you this morning. And my first headline is found in the first six verses. And this is it. The word is our instruction for living. Headline number one. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. You can have the printed word right in front of you this morning. I know you've got it on the screen. You probably have it on your phones. As we continue in our series, we find that Moses is continually preaching to the people at the boundary, and he's telling them and reminding them over and over and over again that they need to listen to his word. And they need to remember what he's saying to them as they're getting ready to cross over, and they need to do what he says. So let's jump into chapter 8, Deuteronomy, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. What Moses is doing is he's drawing their attention. He's, he's stimulating their memory to go back and bring to mind the commandments that God had given to them at Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments were God's instruction manual for them, and it was explaining to them how they were to enter into this new land, this land that they were about to possess. And did you notice that he wants them to remember all of it? He wants them to pay attention to the whole commandment, to remember the whole way that God has led them over these past 40 years. And he says to them to pay attention to what his word says. Basically, he's urging them, like, listen, pay attention, and just do it. Just do what I say. Do what God says. Because if they do, they're going to multiply in this new land. They're actually going to thrive in this new place. It's going to go so well for them if they will just listen to what God has to say and do it in their lives. 
God in his infinite wisdom has told them plainly how they can live their life to the fullest in their new home, but it's going to require that they make some very deliberate decisions to resist the lure of the Canaanite culture and not become carried away by their pride as they begin to enjoy all of these new luxuries that they're going to have when they cross over the boundary. If they forget God and his word, the results are going to be disastrous for them. You know, God also wants us to to follow the whole counsel of his word. He doesn't want us to portion out what we like from what we don't like, right? We can't say, well, we really, really like the New Testament, but the sayings of the Old Testament are too hard for us, so we're not going to read the Old Testament. Or he doesn't want us to say, well, we really love the Gospels, that's easy, but we, we really don't like the teachings of Paul. The epistles are just too difficult for us. He also doesn't want us just lifting verses out of context and and holding on to them as if, you know, this is some special thing that God is saying. No, the word of God is is in a continuum from Genesis to Revelation. It's one body of work. It's one recording of God's story. And all of us must be seen and understood and received in context. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the messenger of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, the the whole book of the Bible has been written by men who are carried away by the Holy Spirit. It's God's word to us, and through it, God speaks into our, our hearts by his Spirit. Have you ever had a verse that you were looking in the Bible and it just jumped out at you? Have you ever read and all of a sudden something jumps out at you and your heart begins to pick up pace and you're, it takes your breath away for a moment. You're like, oh my goodness, God is actually drawing my attention to something. He's actually speaking to me right now in this moment through this word. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. It's just something that we need to kind of keep going, keep pressing on. Or sometimes it's, it's a word of conviction, like, oh, I need to apologize. I need to say I'm sorry. I need to repent of that behavior or that attitude. God's word is so powerful, and it's a living word. It's not a dead word. It's not a book that was written years and years ago. It is the way that God speaks to us into our lives today. Hebrews 4.12 says that, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, God had just spent 40 years preparing the Israelites for this very moment. He had instructed them about how they should live as his covenant people, and he had tested their learning. Now, these tests challenged them in the areas of their greatest felt needs, in the areas of hunger and thirst, the basics of life. He wanted to know when they were thirsty in the desert, would they cry out to him? They had seen him do miraculous things time and time again. Would they cry out to him and trust him to provide water? Or would they shake their fists at their leaders and wish they were back in Egypt? And when they were hungry, would they follow his exact instructions for collecting food Or would they try to circumvent his word and do things a different way and end up going hungry? God was testing their commitment to him through these various challenges of obedience because they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 
They had never been faced with making any decisions for themselves. They never had any freedom to choose if they would or would not obey their taskmasters or their slave masters because if they disobeyed, they would be killed. So they, God knows that they needed some life coaching in the desert and they needed to have tools and skills and experience navigating the freedom because their parents, the first generation of Israelites, had actually failed the faith test. When the moment of faith decision came for them to trust God for his protection and step into the new land that, that he was giving to them, they actually chose to trust the word of their spies who reported that there are giants in the land and there's no way we're gonna conquer these giants instead of trusting God's word and trusting his promises. And so as a result, that whole generation, the whole generation of their parents now over these last 40 years, they have perished in the desert because they were unwilling to believe God's promises and they were unwilling to follow his instructions. So now here's this new generation, right? They've spent 40 years in God's wilderness training camp. And this is where he has been raising them up to spiritual maturity. He has been... He has been engaging with them like a father who prepares his children for life in the real world. You know what that's like when your kids become teenagers and you want them to learn from their mistakes while they're still under your roof because you know they're gonna be out in the real world soon and they're gonna need to have these skills to face the temptations and the challenges. He wants them to walk in his ways. He wants them to respect his deity. He is their God and they are his people and he has plans to bless them with abundant resources in this new land, but they must be mature enough to handle the responsibility associated with stewarding such a lavish gift. And they must be strong enough to ward off the temptations that they're gonna face along the way. You know, God wants his people to enjoy their lives. He wants us to enjoy our lives. His word was light and life to the people at the boundary and his word is light and life for us today. Without the light of his word guiding our footsteps, we are just lost in the dark trying to navigate the chaos and confusion of our world. Our world is confusing and chaotic. There's a lot of darkness. And God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as the psalmist says. In fact, Jesus said in John 6.35, He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I grew up attending a very traditional liturgical, high liturgical church in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it was a beautiful church. It was up on a hill. It was made of brick. It had a beautiful steeple, a beautiful view. It had stained glass windows. It had wooden pews where we regularly kneeled on wooden pews to pray. The ministers wore formal clothing with white collars. You got this picture in your mind, right? It was beautiful. We sang hymns. Uh, We said classic liturgical prayers of the faith. It was, it was, I grew in that church to have a very high view of God's holiness. I knew God was holy. Going to church was a sacred experience growing up, and I really enjoyed it. But when the minister would stand in the pulpit and he would give his 15-minute sermon, um, I didn't understand a word. 
I didn't understand. I tried to understand, but I could not understand what he was saying. And then I later found out that my parents couldn't understand either what he was saying. So it wasn't just that I was a kid. But I still have clear memories as a little girl, five or six years old, laying in bed and talking to God. I knew that God was with me. I believed that he was God. I believed that he was holy, even as a child. But I didn't know very much about him. I tried to read my King James Bible, and it was truly like a foreign language. I didn't understand a word of what I was saying. And eventually, I just gave up. And I just spent the rest of my childhood and my teenage years just trying to figure out life on my own. And I still had faith that God existed, but my instruction manual for living at that time was the word of my culture. And it was coming to me loud and clear through the 1970s in California. And it wasn't actually until I attended a Bible church when I was in my 20s that I then became involved in a Bible study and I was finally able to read the Word of God and understand the Word of God and begin to learn about God's character. And I discovered how much guidance His Word had for my life. It was actually through that church, through that Bible study, I believed in God, but I didn't really meet Jesus personally until I was able to understand his word. And I was finally able to understand why applying the world's answers to all of my questions and the world's solutions to all of my troubles really only left me empty and regretful. God spoke into my heart through his word and he set a whole new direction for my life. How does the word of God inform the way that you experience life? I want you to notice some of the key challenges that Moses gives to the Israelites and how they're to respond to God's word. He says, first of all, he says, pay attention to his whole counsel. He's telling them, pay attention to the whole word. Listen to it, esteem it, that's value it, but also remember it. And he tells them to keep the commandments. He says, you know, heed the word, do what he says. Actually, don't just listen and turn the other way and do your own thing, but actually do what he says. Trust him that what he says is right and true. He says, receive the Lord's discipline. The Lord is like a good father who redirects us as we engage in his word. And he's saying, receive that in humility. Um, And then he says, walk in his ways. You know, if, if the word lights our path and if Jesus is out in front guiding us through life, then he shows us step by step how to navigate this life in this world. And he's saying, just walk step by step, follow him. And then he says, revere him as God, as in worship him, adore him, uphold him. What is your relationship with the Bible? Does it feel to you like drudgery or discipline or delight? It's been said that our relationship with the word of God is actually an indicator of our relationship with the God of the word. You know, it's kind of like a human relationship. You know, you know that communication is key to a healthy human relationship. If you're married, you know that when communication breaks down, when you stop talking to one another, it doesn't take long before you're irritable, feeling a little bit hostile, a little bit angry, maybe a little bit distant. And it's the same, God's word is a relationship of intimacy with us. And as we listen and respond to his word and do what he says, we engage in a closer experience of walking with him. 
So my second headline is found in verses 7 through 16. The word of God is our food for nourishment. Let's read verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now You need to remember that the Israelites have only eaten two things over the last 40 years, manna and quail. Manna was the daily nourishment that God provided And quail was added as a relief to the monotony of manna, but it was also given as a discipline for their grumbling. When the Bible speaks of manna, it speaks, it it describes it in different ways. Manna is described in the Bible as bread from heaven or the bread of angels. The desert was dry, and so there were no food-producing plants in the wilderness. And so God provided their daily nourishment through this flaky, white substance that would appear on the dew in the morning. And it, they say it, it looked like coriander seed, um, but it had a sweet flavor. It's described as like wafers with honey. And the word manna simply means, what is it? So the Israelites would say, Manna, what is that strange thing? But God gave them this source of food with specific instructions about how they were to gather it. And it was a test of their faith and obedience. Would they actually do what he says? So they were to go out each morning and collect just a day's portion, just enough to feed their family, nothing more, nothing less. They were to do that every day, except on the sixth day, they were to gather a double portion so they would have enough for the seventh day and they would rest from their labors on the seventh day. They wouldn't have to work on the seventh day. But even though God was so particular in his instructions to them, they still had such a difficult time following them. They just couldn't really bring themselves to do what he said. But God was teaching them to depend on him for their daily bread. He wanted them to understand that his word was all they needed for life. By his word, he had promised to care for them in the wilderness, and he had promised to carry them safely into the promised land. So they could trust his word because every day they had this miraculous provision of food that was, and that showed that God was faithful to his promises. Every day, food showed up, and they knew, oh, God is faithful to his word because he is providing for us just as he promised. And this is actually what Moses was referring to. Going back to verse three, let's look back at verse three. It says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in the wilderness, he's teaching the people humility and dependence because he's preparing them to step into this land of abundance. Have you ever experienced a season in your life where God was teaching you humility? It's so painful when God teaches you humility. It's so painful. It always hurts, always. 
But there is a sweetness that comes on the other side of that lesson when we actually see ourselves more rightly before God and we realize that we're actually not as autonomous and self-sufficient as we once imagined. Humility is also the secret to receiving discipline from God in a way that will produce spiritual maturity. When we resist God's discipline, it actually hardens our hearts towards him, just like it does when we discipline our teenagers. You know, why do we discipline teenagers? Because we love them, right? We want them to, we want to shape them, we want to pour into them, we want to help them grow and mature in their lives. And we discipline them when they get in trouble out of love for them. And often though, what do they do? They get angry, they get mad, they slam their doors, they cut you off, they don't talk to you anymore. Whatever it is they do, they don't often take discipline from their parents as teenagers very joyfully. But ironically, who loves them more but you? Who loves us more but God? God disciplines us out of his love for us, which Hebrews 12, 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one that he, ones that he loves. And, it, and when we receive it in humility, we'll respond to it in ways that create spiritual growth and vitality in our lives. But if we get angry and we harden our hearts, we will stall out in the things that God wants to do in our lives. But go back and just notice for a moment, did you notice all the different types of foods that are going to be in the new land? Wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, honey. I mean, their mouths must have been totally watering just at the anticipation of all the flavors they would get to taste again after only having manna and quail for 40 years. But if they didn't learn humility and if they didn't learn dependence on on God in the scarcity of the desert they were going to be at a great risk of forgetting God in the prosperity of the new land. So verse 11, he says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flint of a rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end." God knows there is a very real danger with prosperity. Living in comfort and abundance can tempt us to forget our history with God, our history and his faithfulness in our lives. The Israelites had had a a history of suffering. After being slaves in Egypt and after surviving 40 years in the wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions, that's suffering if you ask me. They're always thirsty for water and they're always eating the same food every day. Like they knew that life was hard, but God was teaching them in that season to rely on his promises and to come to him each day for their provisions. He was their daily source of sustenance. He was the one who provided his word every day for the nourishment of their lives. In fact, his word was more important to the foundation of their existence than food. As important as it is to eat, 
it's even more important to ingest the word of God. Now fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus revealed himself as the true bread of life. He revealed himself as the bread from heaven that was foreshadowed in the manna. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So just as food is necessary to sustain the physical life of the body, Jesus, the word, the bread of life, is necessary to sustain the spiritual life. And he promises that those who come to him, who place their trust in him, will never ever be spiritually hungry or spiritually thirsty. I mean, the truth is your spirit needs daily nourishment from God's word, just as your body needs daily nourishment from food. Both are vital in sustaining life. When we feel the pangs of hunger in our bodies, we know we need food, right? We feed ourselves pretty quickly when we feel hunger pangs, but do we feed our spirits when we feel hunger pains for God? And how do we do that? Do we feed our spirits on the word of God? You know, one day our bodies are gonna go to dust, but our spirits are gonna go be with the Lord forever. We forget how important it is to feed our spirits, the one part of us that lives for eternity. And we get so wrapped up in feeding our bodies and God is adjusting our thinking. He's saying, actually, no, you need my word more than you need physical sustenance for life. Now, how do you, how do you feed yourself on the bread of life? How do you do that? Two of my favorite ways to do that involve Bible study and prayer, basics in life. Getting involved in a Bible study is such a great way to feed on God's word in community with others. It's actually fun to have stimulating conversations with a small group of people about what you've learned in the word during the week. It's fun. And you learn so much from each other. And when you're in like a Bible study, it helps you stay connected. It helps you continue to press on. You have all of the text in front of you and you have the accountability of people who are eager to see you each week. And you develop amazing friendships along the way. You just do. You make some amazing friends. Some of my very, very best friends in life I met in Bible study. But praying with someone else is also another way to feed on God's word. It's a really powerful way to feed on God's word with another person. My husband and I developed this pattern, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, um, where we get up in the morning and we pray together in the morning. We read the devotional together and we pray together. And every single morning when we get up in the dark, our spirits are hungry and thirsty for time with God. It's so weird. It's like we can't store up enough from the day before. It's sort of like manna. We can't get enough from the day before to last us a few days. We wake up every morning parched for this time with God. Every morning we're desperate to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And we're desperate for his power and provision in our lives. We come as such needy people before him every single day. And we need a reminder that he's with us in the challenges that we face. And we face a lot of challenges. We face a lot of challenges in our lives and we need to be reminded that he is with us in those challenges, that he is gonna give us enough sustenance for each day by his grace. 
I actually think this is exactly how God designed us to live because we are so dependent on him. And he is incredibly faithful each day to meet us right where we are. The next day when we meet, we end up spending time just thanking him for the last 24 hours. And it's amazing how much he does in 24 hours that you can come before him and thank him for. And then the next day, we got to come again because our needs are great and our resources are small and we just need him to show up. You see, God has created us to be people who need this kind of nourishment from him every day, lest we forget where we came from, lest we forget who we were before we met him, lest we forget where all of our blessings come from and we become dangerously prideful and self-sufficient. We have that same danger. We live in comfort. We live in abundance. It is very easy for us to think that we can do life without God. I had a friend years ago, very, very wealthy, lived on the lake in, in Lake Oswego. And when I shared Christ with her, she said, why would I need that? Look at where I live. Look at what I have. I don't need that. If I had time, I'd tell you the brokenness in her life that's trailed that, that statement. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. She's at the bottom of the pit of life now, all these years later. She didn't realize what she needed because she had so much comfort and abundance in the moment. And this leads me to my third headline this morning, found in the last three verses. The word is our key to life in Christ. Verse 17 Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish." like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see, the problem with prosperity is that it leads to pride, which leads to idolatry, which ends in ingratitude. You know, when we have just enough, when we have just a sufficient amount to meet our needs, we are so prone to praise and thank God for what he's given us. We know we have just enough. But when there is a surplus, then we are tempted to become arrogant and we forget that everything we have has been given to us to steward under the care of the Lord. We are only stewards for a very short period of time. Our lives are so short and we're gonna leave it all behind. We have this little bit of time to steward what he gives us and to do it in a way that, that breeds humility and gratitude and worship. Otherwise, we'll be prideful and we'll worship idols and we'll be ungrateful. Now, the Israelites were under very intense scrutiny in this regard because God knew how prone they were to ingratitude and idol worship. They had struggled with ingratitude and idol worship the whole 40 years that they'd been in the wilderness. And so he knew this was something that they were so vulnerable to, and they knew that they would be even more tempted to become prideful and forgetful in their season of prosperity. So God warns them that if they forget who they are, and if they forget what he's done for them, they will become just like the idolatrous Canaanites who occupied the land before them. Remember last week's sermon, 
Remember what happened to them. If they become prideful and they become idol worshipers and they forget God, they will be just like those Canaanites. And if they persist in their ungodliness and their idol worship and they become puffed up with pride because of their great prosperity, they're going to face the same destruction as those other nations. Because you see, God made a covenant with his people. This was a two-way agreement that he made with them. And he said, if they obeyed his word, he would bless them with his favor and with his protection. But if they disregarded his word, if they disregarded his kindness and his generosity and they turned their faces away from him, he would cut them off. He would send them out of the land. He would send them into exile. They would live their lives with the very people that they had become like. And when we start to forget God's kindness, it's so easy for us to start spiraling downward into these same patterns. We start to forget God's generosity and goodness in our lives. We start to forget his past faithfulness. And pretty soon we start disobeying his word. I think that Paul explained this so well in the book of Romans. He explained this downward spiral when he said, In Romans 1, verses 21 through 23, he said, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, pride, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things, idolatry. So how the Israelites responded to the word of God was actually a matter of life and death for them. And you know what? How we respond to the word of God is actually a matter of life and death for us. The New Testament reveals through the apostle John that Jesus is the word. John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is called the Logos, which is, in Greek, it means divine, eternal word. He is the second person of the Godhead. We've just prayed this beautiful prayer this morning. We pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the Son, the second person of the Godhead. He was with the Father and the Spirit at the time of the creation of the world. Through him, all things came into being. Creation happened because God spoke it into existence by his word. Jesus is the word of creation. Nothing that was made was made apart from him. He is the active agent in the creation of the universe. Jesus is the word of God in human flesh. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The logos became hearable, knowable, touchable. He is born into this world fully God and fully man. And Jesus speaks the word of God into our lives and invites us to know him in a personal way. John 14, 10, he said, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his work. John 14, 24, for whoever whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear are not mine, but the father who sent me. 
And Jesus reveals by his word that he is the way to eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you see, the the word of God, scripture, reveals the word, God, and invites us to receive him and believe in his name. How would we ever know how much God loves us without his word? We could see the aspects of his character as creator, as artist, as sustainer of life, but we wouldn't know how much he loves us without his word. How would we ever understand why Jesus died on the cross without his word? Would it just been some guy in history? Would we even know that he raised, was raised from the dead? That he walked around for all those days for people to see him? That he ascended into heaven? We wouldn't have known anything without his word. What possible hope would we have for an eternal future with God? Literally to one day step into a heavenly promised land without his word. What wisdom and guidance would we have for our lives without his word? The word of God is the key to our life in Christ. What is your relationship with God's word? I'm not saying this for you to feel badly about the fact that maybe you don't open his word. That's not why. I want you just to think about it. This is a precious gift that God has given you. Does it feel like drudgery? Or does it feel like delight? And if you want to move from drudgery to delight, it's probably going to take a little discipline. It's going to take a rhythm in your life of opening the word, just reading and letting God speak to you. What, what kind of next steps would you like to take to kind of follow his instruction and, and walk in his ways? Do you see him shining light on a path that he's inviting you to step into? And what kind of courage do you need to step into that path and follow him? What would it look like in your life if you were to feed your spirit every day on the nourishment that he gives you through his word? What would that do to your, to your countenance, to your hope, to your sense of not being alone in life? Do you need some new tools? Do you need some friends to come alongside of you? I want to encourage you to come to a Bible study. I want to encourage you to take one of our core classes to learn more. I want to encourage you to join a community group. Wrap some people around you and do the journey together. That's how God made us, to be in community. But most importantly, I want to ask you, have you placed your trust in the Word Himself? Have you believed and received Jesus as your Savior? He is the word and he invites us into a a place of intimacy and love and faith and grace and forgiveness, joy, and it will change your life. I'm gonna invite you to come to the communion table in just a moment and today I wanna invite you, when you get the elements, you're going to be remembering just what God told us to do. Remember, remember Jesus, remember what he's done. Remember, Remember what he did on the cross for our forgiveness, which we only know by his word, right? Remember, I want you to to take the elements, go back to your seat, spend a few moments contemplating some of these questions I've asked you. What is your relationship with the word? What next step would you like to take? Where are you in um, your, your love for the word? How is God moving in your heart just from the things that we've talked about this morning? Would you just take a moment and contemplate those things? When you're ready, you can go ahead and receive the elements in, in your seat and then Join us as we continue to worship this morning. Let's pray. Father, we worship you for your word. 
We would not be here this morning if you didn't show us who you are. Tell us who we are. Tell us how desperately we need forgiveness for our sins. We would know that you're inviting us into this relationship with you, a relationship of of peace and hope and joy and forgiveness and grace, that you're calling us to be the body of Christ, that you have a work for us to do in this world. You're calling us to participate in your kingdom purposes. Oh Lord, we wouldn't know any of these things without your word. I pray that you would pour your word into our hearts this morning. Show us how we can go deeper in our knowledge and our love for you through the scriptures. Thank you for what you taught your people, Israel. Thank you for how we can learn from them. We face the same dangers today as they did, but we want to be faithful. We want to respond in faith. We want to do what you say. We want to step into our lives with with faith and obedience and, and receive what you are offering to us in Christ. So I pray, Lord, even in these moments that you would speak to us by your spirit. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.